and as a leader, I think if you go into that room and people are not prepared to blame you or criticize you or say, you know, this decision, which everyone sort of knows was Steve's decision, didn't work or was wrong, then you know you've got a problem. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Steve, welcome. Thanks very much to joining us on our, our podcast, How They Lead, uh, one of the first episodes that we've been running. Basically, we're trying to have conversations with people at the rock face of leadership, uh, contemporary leadership, high-performing teams, people who are making, leading, running those teams in the 21st century, like yourself. What we're trying to achieve from, from this podcast is to tap into people that our listeners might not otherwise be able to and try and gain some lessons from this, this free knowledge almost like a library of information and lessons to take away and implement back within their business, back within their team, or just to be better as an individual. So thanks for your time and welcome. We've got about 45 minutes to have a chat to you and see if we can tap into some of your knowledge and uh, your expertise. I think Ben wants to try and tap into to your background to start with. Uh, a little intro. Yeah, Steve, great, great to have you on the podcast. I think we'll kick off with, um, it'd be great to understand a bit about, about who you are, the business you run and, and how, you've, how you've got to become the CEO of that business and, and where you've taken it. Sure, no pleasure. And thanks for having me on. I, I should say I injured my, I had a bit of a cricketing accident uh, last week in the nets just before the season. So unfortunately, it means my hit's going a little bit. So I'm, I'll shuffle around just so you know, that's why I'm shuffling around. Anyway, I'm, the company I run is called Zappy. We are a, an automation company. So we automate the process of doing great quality market research. So people, big companies like Pepsi or Mars or a Unilever, that type of company would use us to test ideas before they launch them into the wild. So it might be a, an advertising campaign. It might be a new packaging concept. It might be a new price point. It might be a new product or service. And before it goes out into the market, they want to know, is this, is this the best we can do? Can we improve it? Uh, how, how successful is it likely to be? Obviously, those are big questions, a lot of risk. We will help them answer those questions, but in a very agile way. So we'll give them data, we'll give them inspiration, we'll give them reports and ideas back so that they can optimize and, and validate those ideas before they go in. And, and we'll do that in a sort of, you know, a, a one, one day turnaround time, unlike the, the old world that I used to be in, which was three, four week time, time frame. So that's what we do as a company. The, the way I got to founding the, the company is that my background is in consumer insight. So I've always been in market research. I worked in London for about a year in the early 90s, then worked in Asia for six years, worked in New York for six years, and then came back and started my first company about 18, 19 years ago, came back to London, started 
small company. This is my fourth company. So I've been a bit, a bit of a serial entrepreneur in this space. But it was 10, I founded the company about 10 years ago. It was probably a year before that, that I came up with the idea. And, and it, it was one of those sort of 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration things. So I, I came up with the idea, the entire idea for the whole strategy of the company for the first five years over a couple of glasses of wine in my garden. So I was literally, I was just frustrated at trying to innovate in this space. Um, and I started thinking, what, what is the clients moan about? And actually, they really like consumer insight. They really like getting market research reports. It helps them make smart decisions, right? But they always moaned about how long it took and how much it cost. So I thought, oh, how on earth can I make that um, quicker and cheaper? So, and the obvious answer was automation. So I came up with the idea of creating, it'll sound dated, but take yourself back 10 years, the app store of the, of the market research world. So that was, that was the initial idea. And that's really what we spent the first five years doing. But my problem to begin with is I knew nothing about technology. So I'm the CEO of a software company now who knew literally nothing about technology. I'm a little bit dangerous now, a little bit dangerous. I still don't know that much. And, and what I ended up doing is going through a series of partners. So I went to about three or four companies I knew. All of them said, yeah, great idea. I'll help you work on it. And then they backed out for various reasons. They were doing something else corporately or whatever. And then I ended up finding a small technology company that was doing some of the stuff I needed. Cut a long story short, we ended up working together on it. And eventually they gave up their business and, and just joined Zappi. So we did we did a merger effectively. Um, so so we have the CEO of that company became the CTO. So we have you know me with the domain expertise and and and, and them with the uh, technology expertise. So that's a very brief sort of overview of my background and also how how I've come to uh, lead Zappi. Yeah, great. Thank you. I think like we can probably relate. Like so, West Peak was kind of founded. Um, and, and grew because because our wives were friends and and kind of <laughs> that, that forced us to go we cycling. Were forced to be friends, yeah, we? we were forced to be friends. Um, so yeah, definitely lots of perspiration. One percent. We we can relate. We can re- relate to that. Yeah. I'm um I'm really like I think you've got obviously like continents of, of experience in terms of business and and, and working with different people. Um, and then you've grown grown Zappy to I think you're about 300, 300 plus people now. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're... With sort of $60 million, we, we think in dollars, most of our revenue, frankly, is in the US. We're about 60, 70% of, in, the, in the US. We have four or five team offices in the US and about 330 30 people. Yeah. Okay, so you've got 330 people. You've got people US, UK, around the world. And you've got, you know, you've got a decent amount of experience of, of leading people and teams. So I think uh, my, my first question is, is going to be around, like, your approach to leading people. So... I'm going to give you one sentence. Um, you might break my rule, but we'll see. If I was to say to you, Steve, you've got one sentence to describe your approach to leading people, what would you say back to me? I would say inspire and listen. Those are the two mantras, I would say. Okay. So inspire, inspire and, listen. and listen. That's the shortest response we've had. Very succinct. I, I yeah, think that very is. Succinct. Yep. So good. Full stop. Inspire and listen. Full stop. Now, tell me what, tell me what inspire and listen mean to you on a day-to-day basis. So, so for me, I, every company I founded, I founded with a vision. I, I founded with a, a direction of I wanted to go, a, an idea. I'm, I, I'm more, um, now I work on the product much more than I worked on marketing or clients within the company. And I care about where we're going. And, and what I want is people who will help me get there, who will, who will join on that 
that mission that we're all going to try and do that thing quite what you do when you get there you know that's another question but hopefully we don't need to worry about it uh, but but we have a very clear mission now so that does tweak over time but i see my job as making everyone in the company go that's what i want to do that's our that's what we're doing together we're not fighting each other we're not even fighting the competition we're, we're moving to a particular place and and that if they don't get that if they don't get where we're going if they don't believe that it's a great place to go then that's a failure in my job so if i've got people if i've got smart people around me who want to help go to that place then the company will be, will be great i would say that the the thing when you're when you're trying to be reasonably single minded about getting somewhere you've also got to have an amount of humility that says, I've hired smart people, I may be wrong on some of these steps. And actually, their input into where we go is really key, because half of them are smarter than me anyway. So I've got to listen to find out from them. And I've got to be, and it's not, it's active listening. And it's not just about listening to them and then ignoring them and moving on. Sometimes you won't take their advice. Sometimes you absolutely won't. But you should always listen to that advice and believe in it and, and, and believe that it comes from the right place. So I always want feedback about my ideas and I always want to listen to their ideas and somehow together we'll work out the best way of getting to where we're all trying to get to because I don't know the answers. And, and it's certainly for me in this company, I mean, you know, almost half the people in the, in the business are either engineers or product people. And I had no experience of engineers or product people until, until we founded the company. And frankly, those engineers, I mean, they're all incredibly bloody smart. And, and so I would be utterly stupid if I didn't listen. So they will really help work out how how is the best way of pushing towards that. And also say, what about doing this thing? And you go, oh, actually, I can. I we're still the 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 vision is still there, but the way we get there and sometimes where, where we're going might might change a bit. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I like the inspirational side of things there, especially as we've had a couple of clients and people contact us to ask how they implement that mission and vision throughout the business and make sure it's not diluted from, from the top down or, or from the bottom up. So how do you communicate that and how do you ensure that the mission or the vision isn't diluted throughout the, the different uh, sort of hierarchy within the business? It, it's a continuous battle. So as businesses grow, everyone gets further away from the founding vision and the founding founder. Everyone uh, comes with a different background. They're starting being into departmental issue yet you just get that stuff as have businesses get bigger there's no no way of avoiding that but you can fight it all the time and the only way to do it is to fight it continuously so yes i stand on a podium and talk to people about what the vision is and where they should go there but i also speak to people at the cold place i work on specific projects with you know the most junior person and the most senior person and we'll sit in a room and we'll argue about stuff and we'll we'll try and make a particular project work towards getting us to the vision so it is a hierarchy doesn't work you can't you can't cascade i don't think a vision particularly well i think you have to be shouting it continuously reminding people continuously working directly with people and reminding them that the project they're working on if it's not going towards a vision it's not a useful project to be working on so it's it, i see it I see it as a, the core part of my job, to be honest. I yep. think um, it's interesting. I think the, the words that or the approach that kind of sprung to my mind as I was trying to visualize um, what you were talking about is it's almost like you're playing culturally to, to keep the vision alive and, and keep the culture alive as, as you've scaled. Um, it sounds to me like you're kind of playing like offense and defense 
at the same time. Is, is that a fair kind of way to put it? That is fair. I, it, 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 you've just got to be very, very careful about, I think we have a very strong culture. I'm very proud of our culture, but, but I, you have to work on it every day, every single day. Would you say that's one of the keys for the business in terms of creating uh, creativity and innovation, having that one goal and one vision? Because people then aren't necessarily concentrating on the task in hand, but they're thinking of the bigger picture so they can come up with those ideas. And you obviously have a safe space for them to voice those ideas as well. Yeah, I absolutely do. And, and actually, we've talked, it's really interesting when you start thinking about safe spaces particularly, because we have a, an experimental culture. Right? So one of our mantras is kill, scale, and amend. So if you're if you're experimenting something, kill it, great, very happy with that. Scale it, yep, great, very happy with that. Amend is failure. So every time you amend something, you're like, oh, you're dragging the project out, you're dragging the project out, it slows things down. So either kill or scale if you can. Fine, you amend once, but if you're amending a project three or four times, you're just procrastinating. I think pushing hard to continue that pace is just really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And just on that, like that, that seems quite core to, to you and your, your approach to business, your approach to creating a, a performance creative culture that, allow, that has allowed Zappi to, to kind of become market leading in, in what you do. What I'm interested in, in, in the self-leadership and the role modeling aspect of that. So where has that come from? Which do you have role models that you've learned that from? And if so, can you share any with us? Yeah, sure. So we have a kind of have a learning culture and I'm all into learning. So I do read books. I read business books on occasion, read history books. And there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of leadership stuff in history books. I would say very specifically when I moved to Asia, I had a a boss who was the founder of the company. I was very junior. Um, He worked with me on stuff. He was very inspiring. I would run through walls for him. I worked every day on a Saturday, all day for it. You know, if the company needed something, I'd be there at ten o'clock at night. At five o'clock in the evening, he would put a beer on my desk. Um, so it was a it was a, f- a very fun place to be, but incredibly hardworking, and I loved it. So I suppose that that type of culture is the type of culture I've always wanted to create. But also, you learn from play. To be fair, when I was in in the states, I I, I liked my boss. He was a very nice chap, but had no desire to do anything exciting or innovative and was very happy just poodling along and making sure we grew at 2.3%, which was 0.1% more than the other. It's really important for me that people have psychological safety to fail, but not not to have psychological safety, not to take the shot. So mediocrity is not acceptable. Going for it and failing big time, absolutely no problem whatsoever. And, and, and I think that's the type of environment for high performance that you need to encourage is you've got, you've got to take the shots, right? And, and how do you actively encourage that? Because that's often a question that we get asked. So we go through exactly what you've explained. Then the question that always comes back is how do you instill that trust? So an employee is onboarded and from day one, how do you show that the environment is, is a safe space for that? How do you get across that you are trusting and it is safe to, to try new things and not to amend? So, so again, that's continuous uh, updating. Although, I mean, it, so we, we have a Friday roundup every week. So I, I do, it's like half an hour and we have different people doing different things. I compare it um, and we'll have a DJ and it's fun. And it's good. But one time I did, I did the entire 30 minutes, Steve's greatest fuck ups. And, and I, ju- I just went through the top 10 things that I'd really messed up during, during the, the run of the business. And the point of it was to show right from, right from the founder on, everyone does it and that's okay. There's no problem failing, just learn from it and make better decisions next time. And so you have to be 
you have to just ad- ad- admit it when you when you do it yourself and celebrate other people failing because they took a shot, right? Um, and and learn from it and trying something else. So this culture's hard. It's not it, there isn't there isn't like a you know there's a switch. I I put it on a notion page. Just go and read that, and then then you're done. You'll get it. You know. It's just every day. No, I like that. It's refreshing to hear about that vulnerability. It's quite often hard for for many leaders to to do and to to appear vulnerable, especially in front of a, an audience. So that's really refreshing to hear. I like that. Yeah, I think so. I was just thinking. I hope that someone recorded your top ten your top ten fuck ups, <clears throat> and and that's now the onboarding video that everyone sits through. It's like, <laughs> congratulations, welcome on board, Sappy. On this business. That's actually now, a really good idea. We do have onboarding videos, but I don't think that's one of them. I'll try and make sure it is. We'll be now. Sure well, maybe, maybe we'll do we'll do another podcast episode, and we'll just ask for your top ten. The top ten, yeah. And then and then you can you can have them internally because I actually think that's really powerful. Like you know you can have those. I, I remember like in my, in my last role as a full time full time kind of head of head of people head of performance, we would make sure that the CEO came in and and, and spoke to and did a Q and A with with every joiner. It was harder to do as the business scaled, but it was it was some of the most important like FaceTime that those people got. And and I'm just thinking now, like, like at a certain point, having access to 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 someone having pre-thought, well, these are the top 10 things that I've screwed up and this is what I've learned from them. Um, I think te- technology enables us to to capture that now. So there you go. Go and go and do that yeah, as happy. I think it's yeah. a very good idea. I think it's a very good idea. There's a couple of questions that come out of that as well in terms of uh, are you a reflective person? So to enable you to think about those top 10 and then to, to voice that, are you quite reflective or as a business, do you look back on the things that could have worked better? So constantly evolving what's been done to be better moving forwards? I, I don't think it's a natural tendency for mine, but it's something I've learned. Are they, actually, the developers, the, compu- the the technology side of it, they they call it a retro, right? So they're very good at doing retros, uh, and it's it's so you know what it's like. A project hasn't quite worked, and it's like, oh, quick, let's go on to the next one and ignore the. Whereas if what the technology people do, and and this is a really good example that because it's not zappy, it's just generally in tech, and it was also how the airline industry got enormously safe, right? I mean, it's it's just a good way of doing it. Is that every time you go through a failure. And frankly, even a success, you do a proper retro and everyone who was involved gets into the room and there's no blaming. It's not about blaming. It's not about diagnosing. Well, it's sort of about diagnosing what went wrong, but in order to learn the lesson so that next time you improve. And as long as you focus on next time we improve and no one walks out of that meeting thinking, oh, my God, I've just been blamed for something because that would be the worst outcome. They just think, oh, okay. That would have been a better way to do it next time. I've learned something. Thanks very much. If you retro in that way, in a really healthy way, then everyone just ups their game every time. I think you've literally just mirrored how the Red Arrows do their debriefs. Literally, yeah. so uh, yeah, Red Five. Patrick Kershaw came on and told us about their debriefs. Uh, they don't use names, so they take the emotion out of it. It's literally Red One, Two, Three, Four, Five, etc. And they go through and, and quite aggressively or quite precisely explain the error that they can see and how they would fix it. And they go through like that. And then afterwards, actually, it's fine. They walk away, take away the emotion from it. They're all still friends. But yeah, you've explained exactly how the Red Arrows almost do theirs as well. Yeah, and I think there's there's big lessons that like lead people leaders. So whether you're a sales leader, you know, sales sales manager or lead the marketing team or the finance team, like, that's a skill set that 
I think that people people need to tap into from the, the tech side of businesses, from the military, from sport, that plan, do, review cycle. And I think that it's one of the things that, that, that we, we teach in our leadership development programs is everyone who is a leader of people, if you think about every interaction you have with your team or an individual in your team, you should be planning it, hopefully, doing it, but then reviewing it afterwards to think, right, did I get the desired impact I wanted when I was mentoring that person or coaching that person, et cetera. So yeah, we can, we can learn a lot from, from tech in terms of those, those retros and, and, and performance teams. And I, I would also say, I mean, it, you've got to be able to go into that room. And as a leader, I think if you go into that room and people are not prepared to blame you or criticize you or say, you know, this decision, which everyone sort of knows was Steve's decision, didn't work or was wrong, then you know you've got a problem. So fortunately, I know I don't have that problem because people constantly blame me for stuff. It was a really, there's a book about this, I'm sure you've read, you guys have read it, which contrasts the, the way the airline industry approached this in the 70s with the way hospitals and, and doctors a, a, a approached it. And doctors have this such strong hi hierarchy that no nurse will question a doctor. And so they don't learn. And it's, and it's really bad. And it just hasn't come on. Patient health hasn't improved as much as car, you, plane crash. Planes just don't crash anymore. I mean, they just, they just sort of don't. Um, and it's because of this review system and a complete openness to not, not make it hierarchically dependent. But to just think about the decision, just think about the improvement, just think about the safety. Yeah. It was, it was that black box thinking, wasn't it, where they took away the, the blame element. So there was, it was yeah. no blame culture and actually just dug into what caused the crash or what caused the, the fatality at yeah, yeah. the, the operation. For, for our viewers and listeners, I think it's by Matthew Syed, but don't quote me. If, if it is, we'll, we'll, we'll find it, we'll put it in the link because it, it's a great book. And, and you're right, there's that kind of let's sweep it under the rug kind of because it's litigious doctor environment operation in I think it was US they looked at versus the airline industry where you know if someone said to you there's a 98% chance that your plane won't fall out of the sky <laughs> you still wouldn't fly that's whereas, not exactly what you hear <laughs> no 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 whereas whereas if someone says to you well this operation has a 98% survival rate people are much more comfortable to go oh that's great that sounds that sounds go. brilliant um, okay, cool. So I think look, we've looked at role modeling and self-leadership, but actually I think a lot of what we've, what we've discussed as well has kind of um, moved into that idea that we have of, of teamship. So collaboration. And I think you've given us a bit, a bit of an insight into your approach to, to collaboration. And that stems from that, that vulnerability and that um, openness to, to receive feedback and receive it often. Um, what other what other ways do you ensure kind of teamship and collaboration within within the business? The, the, in the business, there are two other really key people in terms of managing people and culture. I would say so. We, there's there's a guy called Tom Hollis, who is the head of people and culture. He was he he was one of the first employees. In fact, he was the first employee. Exactly. He's gone through multiple different spaces. He really cares and understands and knows the journey we've been on and is really passionate about the culture and pushing that culture and performance throughout the organization. So he is the driving force of that. And so I'm sort of, I, I help him and advise him wherever I can. And then also we have a, a president, a guy called Ryan Barry, he sits in the States and he is much, much better at uh, people management structure teams, making sure and thinking about those performance of the teams and are they doing the right thing. And so I think between the three of us, it's a divide and conquer area that i it's it's definitely not me it is a triumvirate and and some things i'm good at and sometimes some things i'm not and so it's it's working out which, which of us leads in the different spaces 
Yeah. It kind of ties into the question about the, the followership as well, I think. So, Ryan, the president, how do you or, or how do you ensure that you are open to allowing people to, to follow you or yourself? How do you be a good follower to them as well when the circumstances arise? And you mentioned as well right at the beginning, actually, you're not the expert in quite a lot of things. And you're humble enough to realize that the experts are the people working with you for you on, on your team. So I think I've just answered the question myself. But if you'd like to elaborate on that, then I think that ties in quite nicely with what Ben asked as well. Yeah, we have a concept, a concept uh, I think we stole it from Amazon, of a DRI, so directly responsible individual. So any major project, in fact, any decent sized project that the company is doing, there will be a DRI. And that is the person who is saying, look, I, I'm, the, I'm the person, I'm, I'm, I'm the one responsible for making sure this is either successful or we cut it down quickly. Right? One of those two things. I am on quite a few projects where I am not the DRI. I'm on I'm the DRI on some of them, not the DRI on others. If I am not the DRI, then I'm, I'm a follower. Right? They're, they're leading the project and I'm just there to help advise, do a, a, a piece of the work that can help them do it. I'm just... So, then I, I have certain expertise. It's probably my traditional research expertise that they're interested in. So my role in that team is not the CEO or the founder. My role is a, a research expert. And I'll input the research expertise. But if they want to ignore it, it's up to them. They're the DRI of the project. So so your your title is, is your, I suppose, is a, um, a view of your overarching role in the business, but it's not the role you play on a team on a day-to-day basis. Um, that that depends on what the team needs. Yeah, so this is this is a really, really good answer. I like the DRI. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to say now when we when we teach that that it came from Zappy via <laughs> via Amazon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that was, I think that was it. That was a really solid answer, and I'm interested in in the human side behind that. So. There's got to be moments in those projects where you're not the DRI and you are you're a follower where you as the the, the CEO, you know, the, the the hierarchical leader potentially in that room is thinking, crap, I think this is gonna fall flat on its face, or I don't think we're quite going the right direction. But it, it might not be your sector of, of ex, your area of expertise, etc. So how how do you how do you manage the what might must be the tendency to be like I kind of know how this might play out to make sure that people have the opportunity to succeed or fail? So I I would give my advice so and and I would expect them to listen to my advice, but then I expect them to listen to anyone. Um, but so I, I if I think the the project's going to fail for three three reasons, I will say I think the project will fail for these three reasons. Now I'd expect them to take those that on board, but they may well know it much better than me. Um, and they'll have it. So, so I've given my opinion. So that's that's fine. It's still their call. Um, I'm I'm not going to make the decision for them. I I, I don't want to run the project. I'm running other projects. <laughs> I've done the DRI on other stuff. They're the DRI. They're they're, they're ones that are responsible. So it doesn't. It does happen, but it doesn't create tension. Well, I was going to say the the other thing, and this is another Amazon thing it, it, phrase, which is disagree and commit. So we all want. We all want something to succeed. We may think it won't for, for various reasons, but we want it to succeed. What I'm not prepared to do is say, huh, I'm going to want, I'm going to wait around, see you fail, and then say, I told you so. That's, that's just no use, right? I mean, that's just negative. Whereas if I say, I don't think it will work for these three reasons, and they say, yeah, we're going to try it anyway because we think it'll work because of these two reasons, I'm going to go, okay, disagree, but I'm going to commit. So anything I can do to help you make that project successful 
even if I don't think it's going to be, anything I can do to help that make make that successful, I will I will do. Because and I, I'm, I'm not going to be happy when it fails. I'm going to be annoyed when it fails. And I'm going to make sure we retro it and make sure we learn from it. And, and that's reflected throughout all, all of the team and all the employees, is it, that, that disagree and commit? Is that how you become more effective and more efficient and sort of shave down the process from sort of four weeks to, to one week back in sort of 2013 when you started? It's, it's how we try. Uh, again, I, do we do that all the time? Of course we don't. We have new people joining, we have old people joining, we have egos, we have politics. I mean, we have all of those things. But you're always fighting the good fight for embedding those cultural aspects. So as I said before, that that is part of my job. It's trying to remind people about things like disagree and commit, about being being personally responsible, about giving advice and not getting shouty, about helping people out. You know, those those are the things that make, I think, a company more successful. Um, And and I really wish I could write them on a poster and put them up in the office and then go, yeah, okay, that's that job done move on with something else and sadly you just have to continue fighting that fight yeah i think um the, when you mentioned the disagree and commit i think we have a we have a, a we have the, the the amazon wall i'm not sure which wall it is but it's got their leadership uh, yeah i know that one do you know the famous their famous picture it's got disagree and commit the leadership principles and, uh, and it, it's always i always find it really interesting where you know where people have their 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 values you know their 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 behaviors on the wall and we, we get invited in to talk to the company to do a train needs analysis etc and you walk past the values. I, I can think of one of our clients who work with. You walk past their values. You turn right into a glass-walled meeting room. You sit down. And I was sat there with the windows behind me, glass wall, values, literally, like probably 10 meters of values written down. A group of people in front of me said, great. So can you share with me what your values are and what they mean? <laughs> and the looks were like, oh, crap. We uh-huh. agility? Okay, what, what does that mean? Oh, I think it means this. Oh, I think it means that. And it, you just like, it's an ongoing challenge that, that actually, you know, I imagine when, you know, you talked about your um, chief people officer, or I think it was employee number one, like you go from employee number one, it's easy, isn't it? It's only easy to say, this is, this is my vision. This is how we behave. Like, how do you want us to behave, et cetera. When you go multi-geography, multi-office, 330 people, growth plans, investment, et cetera. I think you're bit about, you know, earlier, you're playing offense and defense culturally and behaviors and, and expectations the whole time. You could probably spend all day talking to people to, to, to kind of reiterate that inspiration a bit, I imagine. Yeah, 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 you know, absolutely. Do, do you, on that, just really, really quickly, do you think that point that you get to when you're sort of 300 plus and the, the vision and the goals tend to become more diluted or it becomes harder work, is that when the basics become even more important? So having the sort of those terms of reference, the ways of working really embedded. So doing the small things, doing them well, even when no one's looking, does that help you strive for maintaining that goal, do you think? Has that worked with yourself? The important, what is the importance of those ways of working? Yeah, very much so. And but, I mean, so we, we've grown from probably 150, 200 people in 2019 to 330 now. And so a lot of that is, is through COVID and a lot of that is in without people being in an office together. And I, I'm sure lots of people have uh, faced the same thing. It's just harder. You don't have as many water cooler moments. You don't have as many natural meetings with people in the office. One of the things that we, one of the engineers did really early on in COVID was built a little Slack plugin that um, basically I have random meet. Everyone in the company who signs up for it has a random meeting with someone else in the company every two weeks. 
So I have a random coffee with someone uh, in the company every two weeks, which is really nice. It's a really nice virtual coffee. Um, but those those types of touch points become really important. We also got the whole company into uh, an away week. Uh, we try and do teams away together. But I think I think it's become harder when when you've when you're not in the same place together as often when there's less face to face time. Um, and so there's ways of trying to um, combat that the couple I've just mentioned. Um, but it is it is the area I, I think that we, we just have to continue working harder, harder and harder on our, as the as the company grows in terms of numbers of employees, as we bring in brilliant talent, but from different places and different different ways of working, and they're used to those ways of working. And what one of the things we've struggled with is we, you know, we we have an onboarding process so that they get to know their colleagues and their and their company and and, and their job and what, what the problems are and what they're trying to fix and all this sort of stuff. And we within that, we, we talk about the culture and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to work work together with people. And then sometimes we've had problems like three months down the line. We found they, they've just got the culture wrong and they're doing things that, are, that, that, are, that would have been absolutely the right thing to do in their last company, but are, are just wrong within Zappi. And I and again, we've looked at that and gone, okay, that that's a problem with onboarding because it, it's we've said something, we've said what the culture is, but we haven't helped them live it for for a period of time. So yeah, I, the whole th- it's always a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. You're always trying to look at problems, diagnose them, trying to get back to where you want to be, which is the with the you know the high high performance with the particular culture going towards the vision. That's where you always got to be centered, but there's there's always going to be uh, issues that you're fighting underneath to, to keep things on track. Yeah, it's, I think it, it, it's such a relevant thing right now because everyone everyone is is wrestling with that idea of hybrid, yeah. virtual, face to face. How many days in the office, you know, etc. And and how do we nurture culture when we're onboarding people? How do we create those positive collisions? Because what you've just described are two great examples of creating meaningful positive collisions because like we're we're massive advocates of of creating those collisions because if then people go off to different areas different states in the US or different areas of the world and they're part of a team that's geographically spread the relationships they build when they have those those offsites or those times together that's kind of what when the chips are down and they're in a difficult phase that's what keeps the tribalism and the stickiness i think in in those teams isn't it yeah 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 no definitely what is your, just out of interest, your, your policy? Have you asked people to come back into the office or can you work quite effectively remotely, uh, given that some people are struggling with that sort of dichotomy, whether to bring people in or not, or how flexible they become? I mean, it sounds like you've ticked all the boxes everywhere else and it's a pretty effective business model in terms of the way you're operating. What's your take on that, that hybrid working? Because I think some people can take away some key lessons from you on that. We, two, our, two of our core values are trust and truth. So we will trust people um, and we will always tell the truth. We will, we're always transparent, but it's also, the truth is also about getting to the underlying problem, not doing surface truth, just really asking the five whys, getting to what the core problem is. On the trust side, we trust people to do a great job and to want to help Zappi um, achieve our vision. That uh, We trust people to do that. We trust people to work in the best way to do that. I personally uh, cycle into work. It's 25, 30 minute cycle, depending on how fit I am. So, and I love going into the office. I'm in there four days a week, but you know, half the time there's hardly anyone in there. So there might be a, a core of 20 of us. And, and I think most of the people who come in, well, there are some exceptions. They tend to be people who live nearer. Um, and, and I know that some people hate the idea of commuting and think, why on earth would I spend 
an hour each day going into an office when I can work two more hours a day achieve, helping achieve a vision. I'm like, okay, smart, make the right decision. I Look, I would much prefer everyone to live in a flat next door to the, the office and we could all or hang out at the water cooler all the time but it just it's just not how life is anymore and so we just we trust people to make the smartest decision for themselves and the company yeah well, that's the the five-year plan is it a zappy campus sort of google-esque accommodation on yeah yeah great like that sounds amazing we could have a little like learning academy oh, we could set good. up a zappy learning academy for your university Steve, thank you. We're coming to the end of, of our time together now. And I want to ask you our, our West Peak question. And I, I think a lot of us uh, as leaders experience those second summit or false summit or West Peak moments. And so we want to ask all of our guests to, to share, it's like a bit of vulnerability, share one of those West Peak moments that, that they've had and what they've learned from it. I mentioned the president of the company, Ryan Barry, he's, he's, uh, he's incredibly, uh, he's like 35 or something, but most of the time, much wiser than me. Um, and he said to me one time, I could, we were ha- having a discussion about something and I was saying, you know, I, why hasn't this happened? And he said, well, I, I did, I, when was it a priority? And I said, well, six months ago, I said, this is really important. And, it, and I think he said to me something like, you do realise you say one thing, people listen, but then if you don't repeat it, if you're not following up on it, if you're not checking in, then it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means that you want it to happen. And and I, it made me think that as a leader, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, it just reminded me about communications internally and that whole thing of 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. If I want anything done, I have to set, accept responsibility for being the DRI on it effectively and for pushing it through and for constantly monitoring the performance on it. And, and you can't just snap your fingers. That's just not how, how leadership works. So that was, that was one of my, one of my moments of many, to be fair. I like that. Well, there's been many from this, uh, this session as well. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to tot up in my head all of the different lessons that people can take away. I think this is going to be a really interesting one for people to listen back to quite a few times and take yeah. away. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for, for inspiring us. It's been good to listen to. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. Thank you.